Nation. Welcome back to another episode of Ruby for all. Julie, what is up? I have a wholesome joke. Okay, do it. Perfect. From my kids. Knock, knock. Who's there? Allison. Allison who? I'll listen to you if you listen to me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It is February officially, but it was almost 80 degrees in Phoenix yesterday. So, dude. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. That sounds fantastic. Did you go outside and like, smell some grass? And some grass. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> they freshly cut the grass yesterday and I just sat on my back oh. porch. Yes. Thank you. That's wonderful. Yeah. It rained so, here yesterday. So there's that. How much rain? Like raining all day or like a shower? No, it was not all day. I didn't go outside. I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> I hate when like rain affects the whole day. In Phoenix, like it rains and then the sun comes back out. But almost everywhere else, especially on the East Coast where I'm like grew up, if it's going to rain that day, the whole day is going to be crappy. And like the next day it might be crappy too. Does it get all floody when it rains in Phoenix? Like mud flood? Not really mud. <laughs> it floods. The way the storms come into Phoenix, we're in a valley and you can literally see them rolling off the desert into town. You can mm. literally watch it coming. And usually, especially during the summer or during the monsoon months, it will just dump rain. I think there's like a planet Earth. One of the David Attenborough narrated shows, they actually show an area right outside of Phoenix about how like desert storms form. I should check that out. It comes in and it's moving fast. It just moves out. And it's sunny almost every day here. Like if it's cloudy, it's cloudy. But every other day, it's just sunny. So when the rain does come through... It will get dark and it will get a little scary and then it will just be gone and the sun will come back out and everything is okay again. And I love that. It reminds me of a Berenstein Bears book about, I think it's called Count Your Blessings. And then they talk about how the storm is coming. They count the seconds of when they hear the thunder from when they see the lightning and that's how far away the lightning actually is. I don't even know why I'm getting into this, but the point of the story is the storm came and it was scary and then it just went away and I don't really experience that. I quite like it. <laughs> Do you want to talk about callbacks? What is a callback? I'm glad you asked. What is a callback? A callback in Rails, I did a little pre-investigation to this. Callbacks in Rails are methods that are automatically triggered at certain points in the life cycle of an active record model or object. They allow you to add custom logic before or after specific events such as creating, updating, or deleting records. And the primary usage of them would be for like modifying data, maintaining data integrity, doing logging, triggering actions, or using them in some more complex workflows. Does that answer your question? No. Okay. In a Rails model- Can you explain it like I'm five? Yes. So we'll talk about a blog. A blog has posts, a post model, and a user model, and let's just say a tags model. So let's say I'm using TipTap. TipTap is a rich text editor that- is a little more powerful than your normal text area. It has a lot of the features that you would expect from like a modern text editor, using like a slash command and seeing formatting options and typing the pound sign for a header and it auto-converting it to like a header style. If you're used to craft or notion, anything like that, it's that style of editor. So let's say that in my blog editing page, I have a TipTap editor, and that's where you write your blog post content. Is TipTap something you could use on your app to display in the browser? It's an open source headless content editor. Hmm. 
So if you've ever used tricks, which is built into Rails slash action text, I think uses that as well. It gives you like a more fully featured text editor. And TipTab is like a better version of that, a more modern version. Notion would also work. In Notion, like you type your title at the top of the page, right? And then you just continue editing. Okay, let's say I want to have that type of workflow. I don't want to have a title input. I just want you to be able to type your title as the first line in the text editor, and then the rest of the page is your post. So here's where I would use a callback. Because that input is coming across, the body of that post is going to be one big thing. It's going to contain my header. So whenever a post is saved, I need to extract that title, right? Because I want to save the title on the model. That will make it a lot easier to do other things down the road. And I don't want to always have to tap into the body of the entire document to get it. So every time you edit the post, I want to update that title based on that first line of the text area. That would be a great place to use a callback. So based on a certain action in Active Record, and I have a list of them, I want you to perform a certain thing. So in this case, whenever I do a save on my post, I want to update the title attribute on that record. So I could have before saving, and I'll just write a method that's like extract title. And all it'll do is take the body, strip out the title. Whatever happens in that method, not really important. What is important is that it just updates the title for that post to be what it was based on that body. And that is a callback. So that would happen before I want to save. That got a little complicated. So what you're saying is inside of the post model, yes, you would have something like before save, it's a method. Yes. And you might have right after that, a method that maybe a you defined method. Yes. Down below in your model to extract the first line of the post, then you save that as the title. Yes. That makes sense to me. Yes. So there are three main categories of callbacks. There are before callbacks, there are after callbacks, and then there are round callbacks. Round callbacks are less commonly used. You definitely will see before and after. The before callbacks are pretty much the ones you will probably mostly use. So you have like before validation, which is executed before the object is validated, before save, before create, before update, before destroy. So like your basic CRUD actions and then a validation one. And you have the same ones for the after callbacks too. After validation, after save, after create, after update, after destroy. And that prefix indicates when it happens in the lifecycle, either before or after the validation, before or after the saving, before or after creating, updating, etc. Round sounds kind of wishy-washy to me, like, is that before, right after, sometimes before, sometimes after, at the exact same time? Yes. So the around callbacks are harder to understand for me too, but the around callback is called around the action and inside the before and after actions. They are before the action itself. Then when you want to invoke the action itself, you can yield to it, then continue execution. This is why it's called around. So the order goes before, around, after. So an around save method on our post, I don't know what a good example of using this would be, personally. So if you're out there and you're listening and you're like, oh, I know a great example of how to use an around callback for this blog example, let us know. But those are definitely less used than a majority. One example you would use for an around callback is like setting state, in my opinion. Maybe setting current attribute 
maybe updating it because I don't see them enough. It's hard for me to be like, oh yeah, this is the perfect example. Whereas the other ones, the before and the after callbacks make a lot more sense. I could think of easily reasons to use any of them. Right. For me, I think maybe before validation is something that we could check if we need something to check extra that Rails isn't currently checking to validate before we actually validate and then put it in the database. I got a good before validation for you. So let's say our post validates that the title is present. Okay. Right? So we cannot create a post without a title. We could have a before validation check. And let's also say that if they don't put a title, let's say we just want to default it to something Mm -hmm. because we want to minimize the amount of time it takes for them to publish. That's our goal. So we're like, okay, if they don't put a title, we'll automatically create one. Just set it to the date or something. So before validation could check to see if the title has been changed or if the title is present because we call the validate right after that. We could say, is title present? No, set default. Otherwise, continue. And that would be in our before validation. So before it gets the title validation check, we're going to pre-fill that title for them if it's not already filled. Hi there, Julie here. I would like to take a moment to thank GoRails for sponsoring this episode. When I was first starting out, I struggled with finding up-to-date content to help me level up. Then I learned about GoRails. Not only does GoRails provide new screencasts weekly, they also have two fantastic instructors that break down complex topics into digestible chunks. On top of that, I really appreciate when they explain the whys behind the subject. One of my favorite walkthroughs is creating your first Ruby gem from scratch. What a great way to learn by stripping down to just the basics. If you care about leveling up as a Ruby engineer, you can't go wrong with GoRails. Check it out at GoRails.com. So is this happening super fast? Validation happens before saving? So in the life cycle, first you have initialization, like in all of Ruby. But once you initialize the object, post.new, you have validation. Before validation happens, then the actual validation check occurs, then after validation hook. Then the next is saving. It goes before save, before create, before update, save, create, update, after save, after create, after update. But they only occur when an object is saved or updated, basically. Then deletion, so before destroy, destroy, after destroy. So if you call destroy on an object, the before destroy will happen first and the after destroy will happen after. Then there's a round save, a round create, and a round update. Allows custom code to wrap the save operation for a round save. They're kind of like hooks. You might hear them referred to as hooks. We have a specific name for them in Rails, so mostly they'll be referred to as callbacks, but they're kind of like a hook pattern. Did that answer your question? Yeah. Is hooks a React term or is that a general term? Yes. I think it's like a general term, like a general programming kind of concept that you can apply to a lot of other languages. It is specifically used, that term is very heavy in React. When I think of a code hook, it's basically like, a hook is a means of executing custom code either before, after, or instead of existing code. That's exactly how I view it. So if I want to execute something before or after a certain action takes place, that would be like a hook function. You also have hook functions in also lots of other languages, like your terminal, for instance, or in ZSH and Bash, they have hook functions. I know ZSH does, I'm assuming Bash does. But in ZSH, you could have a hook that once everything is set up, then set up my prompt. Usually in a lot of frameworks like OMIZSH, that's already happening. 
so that you can initialize everything you need to instantly to get to be able to type on the screen. Okay, now we can initialize the prompt so that it looks nice. And usually it happens so fast that you don't see a difference. I see. What might be an example of doing something after validating versus before validating? Oh, here's a good example. Example from before when we're automatically setting the title, you could use an after validation check to make sure that we didn't screw up the way it looks. Like there's no screwed up formatting, for instance, after we validate that it's present. Like it doesn't have special If you're not supposed to have certain characters in your title, then you can strip them out or something like that. Right. In the validation example where like we are setting a default title if they don't set one, our after validation could check, okay, we set the title and we just want to validate that. Maybe it doesn't contain any specific words or maybe it conforms to a certain style or whatever. I can't think of a time where I've ever had to use after validation. What are the ones that you use mostly? Before save, before create, before validation, after create, and the before and after destroy. What might you do after creating something? File uploads. So after a file is uploaded, you can use an after create callback to generate thumbnails to process the file or update related resources. Oh, nice. I did make a list of like example use cases for some of these. What else you got? User authentication. When a user signs up, you could use a before create callback to hash and salt their password before saving it to the database. Notifications, that's a big one. So when an important action occurs, like a new comment on our post, we could use an after create callback to trigger an email notification. Logging and auditing, this is a big one. So if you're using HoneyBadger and you're logging errors, what I like to do personally, especially when I'm building a new feature, I like to add more advanced logging it makes it easier to debug, especially at the beginning of a new feature. So the other day I added a method and we added like a fallback option. And I was like, this fallback option should never, ever be hit. And we were kind of arguing about whether or not that was true. And I was like, this is how I will validate that. I will add custom Honey Badger log message on that line so that whenever that line is hit for that specifically in Honey Badger, see like, okay, yeah, I see an instance of this. This is how it happened. Here's the contents, et cetera, et cetera. So you could use before save or after save callbacks to log certain changes to Honey Badger or maybe just to your logs. Maybe if you wanted to keep track of user signups, for instance, maybe you want to log every time a new user sign up for whatever reason. You could use before and after save for that. Soft deletion. So soft deletion is basically like you don't actually destroy the record you keep the record in your database, but your app does think it's destroyed. So instead of you physically destroying a record, you could use a before destroy callback to mark them as deleted. Then you would use like a custom scope to be like, make sure you always get posts that aren't marked as deleted. Why would you want to do that? That would be in a case where you need a factual logging, I guess, if you want to always have like basically all of your data which I don't really believe in. I believe in destroying them. But if you're one of those companies is like, whenever a user deletes their account, we don't actually delete them. We keep them in the database, but they can't log in. They're not active. They don't have any stuff on the site. That would be like a soft deletion. It's like the user's still there. And like maybe in the admin database, you can see that they're there and that they're not active, but they are deleted in terms of they don't own anything. They don't have any posts. They don't have any, et cetera, et cetera. 
I was going to say, I've always wondered if when I try to delete an account, if that truly means that my information is all deleted or is it just, I can't go into it, but it is somewhere in their database. I noticed there's also some places that are like, we will soft delete them for you. So like you have the choice to come back within 30 days and you won't lose any of your information. But after that, you cannot recover anything. I wanted to get back to that line though, that you added that logging. Did it ever get hit? Not yet. What you just said though, a great example of other things you could do in the before destroy. If we wanted to implement what you just said, we'll give you 30 days to retain your data. In a before destroy, we could mark all of these things as ready to be deleted. However, we do that in the database, it doesn't matter. And then have a background job that runs on a cron schedule that's like, I guess I would use deleted at. So every record that has a deleted at value that's not nil and is greater than 30 days past that timestamp, we can use a cron job to automatically run and delete those. You could also do a bunch of other stuff like in your before destroy, like maybe sending the user a goodbye email. And if you're a smaller team and if your founder like reaches out to people and be like, hey, like here's a survey or what was wrong, et cetera, et cetera. That would be another example of where you could use that. Custom slug generation for our post example, that's perfect. So in a before create, we could automatically generate a slug with like a UUID. So like you create a new post and the URL for your post is automatically like site slash post slash ABCDEFG dash HIJKLMNP dash blah, blah, blah. And then you can obviously change that. But that same thing with our title earlier, where we don't want them to be able to publish without this being set. And we want to make it the fastest way for them to publish. Automating like a slug creation would be one way to do that. Yeah, that's kind of the examples I thought of. I don't even know if we have enough time to get into this. I'll tell you a story. My first RailsConf, I was just about to be hired full-time. I was still in college, about to exit. And I went to an event, I think Mike Perrin's board game night, which he still hosts at RailsConf. And I was sitting around with a bunch of developers and one of my new managers. And I didn't know anything, right? I'm out of my depth. And they started talking about callbacks and how callbacks were like the absolute devil. And they were like, what do you think? And I was like, well, I don't think I really use callbacks. And they were like, really? My manager kind of like snorted. And I looked over at him and he's like, we use a lot of callbacks. And that is when I learned that (laughs) number one, a lot of applications use a lot of callbacks. Some use a lot more than others, but there are a lot of developers who do not think you should use callbacks. And there are a lot of developers who think you should use callbacks for everything. And I think all things, there's a happy medium, but I did ask some people why they didn't believe in callbacks. And I've got some answers. We've been doing simple examples, but these examples can get way more complicated, way more steps of after I save a post, I set up records or I create new records or send emails and I trigger jobs. It could be a massive amount of things that happen, right? I could see it being, if you're needing to debug something, maybe it's hard to find where in the life cycle you are and then have to go find which of the callbacks it was. I honestly can't say since the past two years of my job, I've been doing a lot of front end stuff and I'm recently going into some more Ruby land and I haven't looked at to see if we're using callbacks right now. I'm assuming that we are, but I haven't looked into if I had to debug something, would it be challenging to find where that is? Well, you nailed it because that's exactly (laughs) one of the biggest issues with them Mm. is they're hard to debug. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime shouldn't be one. 
Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute. A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy-to-use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. Best of all, Honey Badger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at honeybadger.io. That's www.honeybadger.io. They're also really easy to reach for. The other day I had a problem and I was like, I could solve this really quickly, the callback. But I didn't feel like a callback was the right way to solve it, right? I felt like a callback was maybe not as reliable as I wanted it to be in that situation. Like it just didn't feel right to be in a callback. But the easiest solution was callback, problem solved, moving on. So they're really easy to reach for, which can be a blessing, but also can be a curse. Andrew, they can, you have to tell me what the example was. Couldn't remember it off the top of my head. That's why I didn't say it. It was... Did you end up using a callback because it was so easy to grab? I did. Yes. Ah, okay. Oh, I know what it is for. It was for creating a record with certain defaults based okay. on associated objects. So in our post example, what this would be is... Let's say in your settings, you can set defaults for like maybe the default author. Let's say you can change the author name and the default picture and maybe the default SEO description, whatever. Let's just say that there are defaults that you can set and we set them at like the blog model level. So every time you create a new post, you want those attributes to be used. The blog.author, for instance. And maybe you have certain preferences of whether or not to show comments or not show comments. Et cetera, et cetera. All those things that you would save maybe on that blog or like a blog setting model, but you would want to apply those to every post. And so basically what I did was like, I did use a callback and I think I did before save set default attributes and it would take attributes off the associated records and set those and then call save. Before create, I did it before create. So if you did not grab for a callback, how would you solve that? Every time I create a new post, I would have to find a way to pass in those options. I'd have to be more explicit. And I think that's basically the trade-off. Explicitness versus not. So yeah, I would probably just pass in those defaults every time. Or make a method on the blog model that generate with defaults or something. But basically, what I wanted was every time I do post.create... I want these values. I don't want to have to think about where they are or have to use something. I just want it every time. Mm -hmm. So that's why I did the callback. So maybe I know the answer, but are you in the use callbacks all the time or don't use callbacks at all or think about the trade-offs between them? Let's give it a spectrum. So on one end of the spectrum is use callbacks for everything, which I guess you could almost do. And then the other option is no callbacks, not a single one at all. I am in the middle, but I am closer to the use callbacks. Okay. I like callbacks. Have you ever had the problem with debugging and not being able to find where it is? Yes, I have. Because something happens to an object and you're trying to follow this in the Rails console. I'm on a form, I submit the form, but then something happens and like, how does it get these extra things? Or how do these extra things happen? Those are basically like, might be happening in a callback. And kind of like you hinted earlier about debugging it, it's not evident off the bat 
that the callback exists or that it's happening. It may also not be evident if it's erroring. And one of the biggest issues is trying to bypass them. I had a callback on a model that worked every time up until a certain point. And all of a sudden, I didn't want to call a callback under given circumstances. Let's say that there is body content. So whenever there's body content on the post, I didn't want to run a certain callback. And that's all of a sudden where it gets a lot more complicated. Trying to figure out how to bypass certain ones under certain circumstances. If they're very generic, that can get really sticky. Do you try to Um, avoid them in those situations? Yeah, I try to avoid them, period. I believe in using them, but if it's not the best solution, I don't want to use it, if that makes sense. And that's why I said I didn't feel good about the solution the other day, where I was like, I feel like there's got to be a better way to generate records with default attributes than this way that I'm using, right? I feel like I could not use a callback and figure this out. I didn't have the time to do it, so I had to make a trade-off. But I feel like there's almost always another way to do it. It just might be whether or not that other way is better or not. Right. Because it's implicit, so, right? So like, you might not have any idea of like why or how or where all these things are happening. And that is the trade-off of callbacks. Yeah. Were there any other negatives to using callbacks that you found when you spoke to people? They're frustrating to bypass, difficult to debug. They are often used lackadaisically. So I think that if you're going to add a callback, you need to be very careful. You need to have a lot of pre-thought. That should not be your first solution. It should be like later once you're like, okay, well, all of these reasons make a callback beneficial here. And this is where the callback wouldn't be beneficial. I really think you have to weigh those pros and cons when you add a callback. And then I think there's also sometimes where a callback just kind of makes sense for me to add. And that's when I need to change data on an object in my model without being explicit about it without a user doing something. I want to like make a slug, reformat a title, extract the title from the body. Those are all things that I want to happen every single time I save, no matter what. And as soon as that's not true, then it shouldn't be a callback. But as long as it is every single time, and a lot of times when you're creating new records in the console, let's say you and I are trying to debug a bug and we're on support. And there's this weird error and we're trying to fix it. And they're like, okay, we're just going to recreate all these objects, right? And we start creating all these objects. We're good to go. Mark the ticket is done. Now, if a lot of those objects actually needed other things to be created, or they needed certain things set a certain way, or we're missing data on the model, we have no idea. Those are things that callbacks are great for because it allows the developer not to have to think about, oh, well, every time I create a post, I have to set the slug in this order and I have to set the title, this specific way, it just allows you to bypass a lot of that and kind of make some of that go to the background mind so you don't have to think about it when you're doing things in the command line. That's not the greatest reason to use them, but it's one that I've run into. Especially when an object has an associated object. Let's say our posts always have comments and we create a new post on the command line, but we don't create the comments because we're not aware of that. That's something in the callback it would make a lot of sense to like after creating a new post, we always create like a comments object that does whatever. I think it's about all I've got on them right now. Testing them is hard. I forgot about that. Oh. Testing them can be a real pain in the butt. And not just testing them, but in your other tests. Like if things are happening in the callback, you may need extra test setup in other tests to make it work. 
let's say every time we save a post, we also update a comments count on that post model. So every time we save, we total the amount of comments and save that on the post table itself, normalizing the database or whatever. But what that means is that every time a post is saved, it's expecting these comment objects to exist. So now in all of my tests, I'm like, every time I create a post, I'm like, oh crap, I also now have to create these comments. And then as you create extra objects and tests, it makes your test suite slow down. It makes it harder to understand the tests. And so that is one big pitfall to using them is they can be quite difficult to manage when you're testing them. And that's why I said they're hard to bypass. I don't care about this callback in this test, right? This test isn't for this thing. It's for a completely different thing. I don't care about what happens after I save a post, but I can't bypass it. Or if I do, I have to write some really hacky thing. And now it's okay. Is the callback the right solution here? I'm not sure. Any questions on callbacks? Anything else? No, it sounds like they can be tricky. They can be tricky, but I would label them as an integral part of building a Rails app and being a Rails engineer. Almost all apps that I've ever worked on have had callbacks. And if it didn't, it's because the lead developer had a holy war against them. So the only takeaway that I would want anyone to take out of this is do not reach for a callback first. And when you're adding a callback, make sure you weigh the pros and cons and try not to have a lot of logic in them. Once the callback methods start getting over, for me, five, six, seven lines, all of a sudden it doesn't feel like the best solution. I feel like they're for very small thing. And if you kind of keep that in mind, you should be safe. At some point, they're all going to bite you. (laughs) Cool. Anything else? No, thanks so much for sharing and explaining all of that. I know that there are people listening to this who are like, you did not mention nearly enough of the issues with callbacks. Reach out to us and come tell us and our listeners more about them because I am by no means claiming to be an expert in absolutely anything we talk about, but callbacks are essential in Rails, I think, to understand. So if you're not using them, not familiar with them, I would definitely look into them. Understanding them and understanding how they work and understanding the life cycle can save you a lot of time debugging. Debugging can be a pain. Yes, it can. Thanks so much. Speaking of debugging, I have some to do. So (laughs) I'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.